Our first reading this morning and the words that will serve as our sermon text today from Exodus chapter 17. The entire Israelite community set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin as the Lord had commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. But Moses said to them, why are you quarreling with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were thirsty for water there, so they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up out of Egypt to let us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go in front of the people and take the elders of Israel with you. Also take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Watch me. I will stand there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. You are to strike the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did that in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear family in Christ, Being a Christian isn't always easy. You'd think that in some ways it would be easier being a Christian than being an unbeliever, but that isn't always so. Sometimes our lives in this world seem so ordinary, and we find ourselves struggling with troubles and hardships and problems, and pain, just like everyone else. So if we're looking at outward circumstances only, we don't look so special, even though the Bible tells us that we are the children of our Heavenly Father through faith in Christ Jesus, that we are the apple of His eye, that we are a chosen people, that we are sons and daughters of the Heavenly King. Sometimes we don't feel so highly favored. That's the same as it was for the children of Israel. They had been living in slavery in the land of Egypt for 430 years, even though they were God's chosen people. Out of all the nations of the earth, God chose them to be his own and promised to send the Savior through them, and yet here they found themselves for more than 400 years enslaved in the land of Egypt. But God delivered them in a dramatically glorious way. And he led them and he guided them as they journeyed toward the promised land. He vowed that he would bring them there. Everything was going wonderfully and yet here in our text, right, we find the people of Israel, God's people, Dying of thirst. As our sermon series on the Savior we needed continues this morning, 
we come to see that in Christ, God provided water for the thirsty. The entire Israelite community, roughly two million people strong, had been led out of Egypt and were journeying there in the, in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And our text makes a point of telling us that they went as the Lord had commanded. He led them from, face, from place to place. And so much to their eventual dismay, the Lord led them to a place called Rephidim. Their eventual dismay because when they arrived there at Rephidim, they had no water to drink. There was no water for them, there was no water for their children, there was no water for their flocks and herds. It didn't take long for the children of Israel to become the thirsty equivalent of being hangry. They went to Moses, they quarreled with him, they vented their anger, give us water to drink, they demanded. Why did you ever bring us up out of Egypt to let us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst? In fact, as Moses correctly pointed out, they not only grumbled and complained against him, they sinfully were testing the Lord. They tested God by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're they're sinfully testing the Lord by daring him to do something to prove to them that he was with them as he said he would be. Dear believer, can you relate to any of this? I think you can. Like Israel, God called you, chose you from before the creation of the world to be his own, made you part of his holy nation. In a dramatically glorious way, God rescued you from your slavery to sin, to death, and to the devil. He led you out of that horrible bondage through his servant, Jesus Christ. And in his wonderful grace, he has placed you on a journey, a a journey that we call life. And he leads you day by day on your way to the promised land of heaven. And yet, there are times when in his infinite wisdom, God's guiding hand has seen fit to bring you to some rephidim in your life, some dry desert place, some setback, some challenge, some obstacle, some crisis, some diagnosis, some trauma, some heartache, and whatever it was, or maybe whatever it is that you're going through right now, it it left you with this spiritual thirst. It left you looking to the heavens and saying right out loud or maybe somewhere quietly inside of your heart, really, Lord? Is this why you delivered me from my bondage to sin and death and the devil to lead me into this dry desert place in my life right now? If you are a God of bountiful goodness, then why aren't you providing for me right now, Lord? Why aren't you letting more of that goodness come my way? Lord, I need to know, are you with me right now or not? Over and over again, if you noticed, our text emphasizes the sinful grumbling, testing, and complaining of the people of Israel. Now, on the one hand, I think we'd have to say, 
That was understandable. This wasn't just some kid saying from the back of the minivan, are we almost to a place where we can stop and get something to drink? I'm really thirsty. This was a dire situation where it says there was no water for the people to drink. This was bad, right? Think of a person maybe that you've seen on the news that was stranded out in the middle of the ocean for days on end, and finally, when they rescued that individual, they show pictures of that person. His lips are dry, cracked, and blistered. His son is baked. The strength is sapped. You can go for quite a while without food. Without water, normally, five or six days at the most. There was no water to drink. And they're worried about their children and about their livestock and about themselves. That's understandable. But on the other hand, just a short time into their journey, they're panicking. They're wondering, is the Lord among us or not? Really? I mean, they're only a month or two into their journey. And I want you to think for a moment about the kinds of things that they had personally witnessed over the course of the last several weeks. Started in Egypt, they saw the Lord sending one powerful plague after the next. And then there was that final plague, the tenth plague, the plague on the firstborn and the dramatic rescue that God provided for his people with the blood of the lamb painted on the doorframe of the Israelites' homes. And then there was the way that the Lord was with them, leading them day after day with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. God was right there with them. And then when they found themselves with their backs up against the wall of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army giving chase, God came and through Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea and they crossed over on dry ground. And then as the Egyptian army entered in, the Lord caused the water to collapse on the Egyptian army, ridding them of that threat once and for all. Three days after that, they came to a place called Marah. And there at Mara, the, the water was too bitter to, bring, to drink. And so they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord had Moses take some wood and toss it into the water. And, and suddenly the water became perfectly drinkable once again. And then, just before our text, when the Israelites grumbled that they had no food to eat, the Lord miraculously rained down manna and quail from heaven every day. And they ate and had their fill. And now suddenly, having seen all of that over the course of several weeks, now they're testing the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Dear believer, does that in any way sound familiar to you? And we talk a good game about trusting in the Lord, but when we find ourselves with our back up against the wall, we quickly forget everything that the Lord in his mercy does for us on a daily basis, how he has never <clears throat> forsaken us or let us down. When we find ourselves in some crisis in life, we conveniently forget about all of those great and powerful promises that God has made to us. We neglect the voice of Jesus saying in his word, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age and I will never leave you or forsake you. Instead, 
we begin to fixate on our crisis and we wonder, well, Lord, are you with me or not? In response to their faithless anger, God gave his people mercy. You know, friends, if we can't see in this account the patient grace of the Lord our God, then there's something seriously wrong with us. Notice he doesn't shout back at the people. He doesn't put them in their place. He doesn't decide to leave them there on their own, telling them if they, they think they'd be better off without, without him, then fine, they can have it their way. Uh, although who would have blamed him if he had done that? What did God do instead? He solved their problem. And he did it in the most unlikely way you could possibly think of. He gives them water from the most dry, most dead thing you could possibly come up with, a rock. Watch me, the Lord told Moses. They're wondering if I'm among them or not. Watch me, he says. I will stand there in front of you on the rock in Horeb. You are to strike the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will drink. The irony of it all. These people who are ready to stone the Lord's servant because they're so thirsty would have their thirst quenched when the Lord caused water to come gushing out of a large stone. Friends, when the Lord is among us, there is water for the thirsty. What can we learn from all of this? Well, for starters, here we see God once again providing for his people in the midst of their troubles, and in so doing, God shows that he's a God who can be trusted. doesn't matter what it is that you're going through. You have a God that you can trust with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But we notice here, too, that the people of God went through a difficult time. Let's learn the lesson here that people of God or not, we can expect hardships in life. The Lord promised you that. He said, you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, in this world you will have trouble. We should not be surprised when things take a turn for worse in life. So often it's in those difficulties, it's in those rough patches, it's in those tough times when we realize that we have nowhere else to turn but to Him, to His Word, to His promises. And that's all true. But more than anything else, this text points us to a greater thirst that only God can satisfy. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Not for bread or for water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, apart from Christ, we are empty with a, a hole, with, with a void, with a thirsting in our heart and in our soul. And people can try to fill that void, that emptiness, with all kinds of things. The woman at the well that we heard about in our gospel reading, well, she tried to fill that void in her life with one immoral relationship after the next, but she was still thirsty. 
She was thirsting for something that matters. She was thirsting for something that lasts. And the people at Rephidim, you know, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament, the Lord uses this incident at Rephidim as a picture of Christ. In fact, there in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul wrote that Israel drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock from whom we get living water. Just like the water came gushing from the most unlikely place from out of a rock, forgiveness and salvation came in a way that we never would have guessed or imagined. God became one of us. To parched sinners who were stuck in a desert wilderness of helplessness and hopelessness and despair, God sent Christ. True God became true man. And just like water that comes pouring out of a rock, our Savior brought us life that flows from his death on the cross. By means of that miracle that the Lord performed through Moses, he was pointing his people ahead to the day when Christ would come and be present among his people in the person of Emmanuel, of God with us, to give us a water that wells up to everlasting life. I mean, the gospel that proclaims Christ is a well that is constantly delivering us the thirst-quenching water of redemption and forgiveness and salvation. Jesus gives us. Jesus is water for the thirsty. It's not always easy being a Christian. And we can well expect that we will at times find ourselves in some hot, dry, desert place in life. Times when everything seems hopeless. But in the midst of our cries for help and mercy, what a wonderful blessing it is to know that the Lord is among us. Among us, right here in the pages of the Bible. Among us in the sacraments. Among us, living and abiding in these hearts by faith. Among us, to forgive our sins. Among us, even in the face of all the, the worst that we will go through in life. Among us, and never to leave us, to draw us closer to Him in abiding faith. Among us, to be for us, water for the thirsty. Amen.